Well, good morning, New City Church. Great to see all of you here today on campus. And for those of you who are watching online, we're grateful to have you with us as well. Before we jump into the message, let me give a little bit of New City family news. Uh, last week we had GroupLink, uh, a fall event that we have to help folks move from rows of worship into circles of community. And I'm happy to report that there were 78 people that found their people last week in community groups. And so we're, we're really grateful for that and just want to take the opportunity to encourage each and every one of you, if you're not in a circle of community, uh, it's our heart's desire as a church that you would move from a, a row of worship that you find yourself in this morning across our campuses into a circle of biblical community where you can be stirred by the scriptures and struggle well with life together. God meant for us to travel in life together, but also a place where you can serve one another and serve our city and our world. So we'll have multiple opportunities throughout this semester to continue to, to jump from rows into circles and then to be arrows, to be servants in our city and world. And just want to encourage you with so many people that found community this week in our church. Last week, we left the Apostle Paul in the city of Caesarea as we continued our, our series entitled Sent. And Paul was in Caesarea for almost three year, years being falsely accused and falsely imprisoned. And he gives a, a defense in Acts chapter 26. Some of you will remember. If you missed it, you can go back and listen online. It's the longest speech that's recorded in the book of Acts. Paul sends the, the best for last. It's his last speech, a speech of defense. And he's on trial before King Agrippa and the governor of Judea. His name was Festus and Agrippa's sister Bernice and a bunch of other people. And he he finishes his speech in Acts chapter 26, and Agrippa says to him, Paul, in such a short time, would you have me to become a Christian? And Paul answers famously, Acts chapter 26, verse 29, whether short or long, Agrippa, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, what Paul was saying in his defense here in Acts 26 was, I want every person that's listening to me to know Jesus, to be a Christian, and to know the hope and the love that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And so Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, and Festus and the other leaders there, they gather together after Paul gives his defense here in Acts 26, and they say, we can't find anything to convict this man of. He's innocent. And, and, and we would turn him loose, except for this. Here's the cherry on top of the, the false imprisonment and all the things that Paul experienced in Caesarea for almost three years. Can you imagine being in prison, falsely accused, a sham of a trial? And then at the end of it, the people that he's standing on trial before say, yeah, you're innocent. And we would let you go, except you appealed to Caesar. You, you invoked your, your right as a Roman citizen to stand before the emperor. So now we're going to send you to Rome. And we learn this one simple truth here in the segue between Acts chapter 26 and Acts chapter 27, between Caesarea and Rome. The, the Romans thought that, that, that all this was their plan, but actually it was God's plan. It was God's plan all along to send Paul to Rome to preach the gospel there. And we learn this real simple truth that I hope all of you will take with you today, that man's hands can't stop God's plans. Man's hands can never stop God's plans. It was God's plan for Paul to journey from Caesarea ultimately to Rome to preach the gospel. It's a fulfillment of what Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where we started our journey through the book of Acts. When Jesus, when he's ascending into heaven, says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. 
And Rome in the first century represented the ends of the earth. So this is the literal fulfillment of Jesus' words to the disciples, that the gospel would go to Rome and be proclaimed there through Paul. So we're going to see this simple truth of man's hands not uh, stopping God's plans play out in Acts chapter 27 over and over and over again, just like we've seen all throughout the book. And so if you have your scriptures, turn with me today to Acts chapter 27. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, there's, there's one on campus that we'd love for you to have as our gift to you. You can also find the scripture preloaded on the app. It's right there with a set of notes that you can fill in and take with you. Acts chapter 27, turn there with me. And let me read the first verse as we jump into this journey of, of Paul from Caesarea to Rome. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Let's just stop there in verse 1 for just a second as we talk about this journey to Rome. And when it was decided, who decided? Well, the Romans thought they decided. But actually it was God that decided. This was his plan all along. And the Romans are actually just carriers of God's plan. They're going to carry Paul from Caesarea all the way to Rome. This was God's idea. This was God's plan. This was his purpose. And then we see a plural pronoun uh, appear here in verse 1, Acts 27. And this is significant because we learn here, as Luke is the author of the book of Acts, we learn that Luke is on the journey. We went to Italy. So we, we knew in Acts chapter 26 that many of Paul's friends had abandoned him. They hadn't come and given money for him to be released. And now they're back with him. And namely, Luke is here. And now Luke is going to invite each and every one of us today to join them on the journey to Rome. And what's amazing is Luke, with, with exact detail, is going to mark this entire journey for us. He's going to invite all of us to embark on this ship, this journey across the Mediterranean. And there's 59 verses that Luke devotes to this journey to Rome. So when you read Acts chapter 27, and then it sneaks over into Acts chapter 28, and I hope you'll read it for yourselves, you're going to read 59 verses devoted to this journey to Rome, Paul's journey, the journey of the gospel. I brought a map for you to see the journey marked out. So if you're a visual person, just take a look at this. They start in Caesarea. Caesarea was a port city. It was 62 miles from Jerusalem, so it was the closest port city to Jerusalem, a very important administrative city in the Roman Empire. They start in Caesarea, and they're going to journey all the way across the Mediterranean, eventually to Rome. And there are multiple stops along the way, as you can see. In fact, there's 11 different recorded stops. Some of them were planned stops on the journey, and some of them were unplanned. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But, but Luke marks this journey and invites us to come with them. And this journey, is, as he records it in Acts 27, is, is of course both a literal journey that took place somewhere around the autumn of, of AD 59, but it's also a, a, a metaphorical journey, if you will. It's, it's meant to be a picture and a description of how difficult it is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because that was the purpose of this journey to Rome, to, to fulfill Jesus' command to the disciples to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And so what Luke records for us here is beautiful because it, it challenges us in the way that we see our journey with Jesus. And to understand that on our journey with Jesus, there's going to be difficulty 
There's going to be challenges. There are literal, literal challenges that we're going to read about here in just a few minutes. But it's also meant to be a picture for each and every one of us of the, the challenges that you face in your life. The difficulties that you'll face as you journey with Christ. As you live your life for God's plans and His purposes. If you expect to live on mission for Jesus, don't expect for your life to be daisies and roses. That, that, that's not what God promised. There's a false gospel out there, a prosperityism, if you will, that says if you just have faith and you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And my challenge to prosperityism would be to pick up the Bible and read it. Every single person that we see journeying with Jesus faces difficulty and challenges. Every single one of the disciples were martyred for their faith except for John, and he was exiled and beaten. There are going to be challenges and difficulties on the journey with God. And the higher you go up on the mountain of God, you can expect the winds to blow even stronger. The higher on the mountain you go, the stronger the winds are going to blow. Difficulties, challenges, and Luke summarizes all these difficulties with this one crisp statement in Acts chapter 27, verse 4b. Look at it with me. The winds were against us. The winds were against us. You ever feel like the winds are against you? On your own journey, in your own life, you ever feel like the winds are against you? That there's resistance to God's plans and his purposes? We've looked all throughout the book of Acts as we've been on this journey together as a church, New City, and we've seen as the gospel advances, as we take steps up the mountain of God, the purpose and the plans of God in our own lives, that, that what arises invariably every time in the story? Resistance, wins, challenges to the journey. And it's in those challenges that we see these only God moments happen, where God comes through in a way that is... Um, unmistakable that we can see it that, 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 that there's no other explanation but that God came through in some remarkable way and that's the same thing that's that's busy happening here many of you are facing winds of resistance you can feel it right now on your face as you walk with God as you journey with God and I don't want you to miss this that Paul is smack dab in the middle of God's will for his life there are some people who believe that if you're in God's will, you just won't experience challenges or difficulties. And that somehow you can equate your circumstances to God's calling on your life. And that's baloney. When we look at the scriptures, we see people who are smack dab in the middle of God's will. Who are journeying just in the way that God called them to, and yet the winds get higher and higher and higher. So take heart today. I'm preaching to somebody here. As you journey with Jesus... As you take another step closer to God's plan, his purpose in your life, expect the winds of resistance to increase, but also expect to, to feel the pr presence and the pleasure of God in your life, for that to increase as well, for his goodness and his, and his presence to be around you. So many of you are experiencing the winds of resistance through a relationship, a financial burden right now, a memory that you can't seem to shake, an anxiety about the future, a loveless relationship, a dead-end job. I'm not sure what it is for you, but I know that many of you are facing the winds of resistance, and you can feel that. A couple of years ago, I was uh, in the final few miles of a marathon. Any of you ever run a marathon? Uh, come pray with me afterwards. I'm going to pray with you so that you don't run, run a marathon if you're thinking about it. This was my final marathon. I'd done six or seven of them, and um, 
This is the one where I swore it off forever. Uh, it was in Chicago, and if you've run Chicago, you finish on kind of the Miracle Mile uh, right on Lake Michigan. Um, that day when I ran, it was 83 degrees. And as soon as we made the turn to finish and go towards Grant Park, um, the winds just kicked off the lake at the Windy City, and they were right in our face. And I, really, I thought, if I go any slower, I'm going to be in reverse. I'm literally going to be going backwards if I go any slower. I, I, everything had been going so well, and then these last couple of miles, the winds of resistance, and all I could think about was Lou Malnati's, the pizza shop in Chicago, and I just wanted to eat pizza and just wanted to be done. And Jen was waiting for me at Grant Park, and as soon as I crossed the finish line, I said, babe, don't ever ever let me do this again. Don't ever let me run another marathon again. It was terrible. The winds were blowing so hard in our face. Some of you right now, you're on a, on a journey, your marathon of life, and the winds have kicked up and they're blowing right in your face. And you're not alone. And when we open up to God's word here today in Acts chapter 27, we see the winds of resistance blowing against Paul himself. He faced real challenges, just like the challenges that you're facing today. Challenges to the journey are marked here by Luke in exact detail, verses 4 through 20. He's going to chart out for us all the challenges that came against Paul as he's journeying to Rome, the exact place that God's called him to. He begins by talking about the winds being against us. We talked about that in verse 4. The, 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 the winds of resistance blowing strongly against them. These were western winds that came up against the ship that they were on. And their circumstances didn't match the calling and for so many of you, you might feel that way, that God's got a call on my life, and we're journeying this way in this business that we started, this relationship that I entered into, this job that I began. We moved here because God called us to, and it doesn't feel like the circumstances around me right now match the calling that God's given to me. And that must have been what Paul and Luke and the others who had joined him felt like. God's called us to go to Rome, and yet there seems to be obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in our way. The winds were against us challenges to the journey. Luke writes that progress was slow. Look at verse 7. It took us forever. It feels like it's taking forever for us to move because the winds are so strong against us. We're, we're hardly even moving at all. Any of you feel that way? God's called me to get to this place, to go to this person, and I feel like it's taking forever. If I go any slower, I'm going to be in reverse. God, can you just hurry up? Can you just get me to where I want to go? Can you just get me to this place that you've called me to be? And yet we've learned as we've studied God's word together that when we're journeying for Jesus, when we're in his plan and in his will, that waiting time isn't what? It's not wasted time. That God's a part of all of that. And that's a word for some of you here today. For some of you watching right now, waiting time isn't wasted time. That God's even in that time where you feel like things are going so slow in your life. You just want to get to where God's called you to be. You just want to see the fulfillment of the promises that God's given to you. And yet it's taking so long and you're discouraged. You're discouraged for the person you're praying for. You're discouraged for a project that God's put on your heart. You're discouraged because it doesn't seem to be happening in your time frame. It's not going quickly. I found oftentimes, friends, that we use a stopwatch to judge God's promises, and God uses a calendar. We got a stopwatch, and we're going, come on, enough already. Let's just, get, let's just be done with it. Let's just get there. Let's just see the fulfillment of this promise. Let's just see this come to pass, this word that God's given to us. And God sees the whole parade, and he's marking time in a different way than we do. 
Luke says there was a strong wind that caused them to go the the opposite direction of where they should have been, and the progress was slow. And then, moreover, challenges to the journey here. The winter was upon them, Luke records, verses 9 through 12, Acts 27. So winter was coming, and that was very significant for those who would journey on the Mediterranean Sea. You didn't want to be on the Mediterranean during the winter. Bad things happened. And, and Luke says here specifically that the day of fast had passed. The day of fast was Yom Kippur. It was the day of atonement. And in AD 59, we know that Yom Kippur was on October the 5th. So we know the exact time that they were out on the Mediterranean. And they shouldn't have been out there. Anytime after the day of fast, you should not be journeying on the Mediterranean. It was dangerous. Winter was coming. And Paul says here in verse 10, look at it with me, Acts 27. Paul says, sirs, he says to his his guards, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our very lives. One of the things that we read here in verse 10 is that Paul doesn't know how this is going to turn out. In the middle of the journey, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how God's going to come through. And so he says, we should stop right here for the winter. It's already after the day of fast. It's already after the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. We should stop here for the winter and then continue in the spring. And the guard says, no, we're going to keep going on. He takes the opinion and the advice of the pilot, and he continues journeying. Even though Paul probably had more experience traveling around the Mediterranean because of his previous missionary endeavors, he probably has more experience than anybody on the ship. But they don't listen to him. And they continue on. They think they can reach the next port and winter there. And they're almost there, Luke records in Acts 27. And then finally, challenges to the journey, a storm hits. And this isn't just like a summer squall. This is a real storm. A storm that raged and and lasted for days and threatened to break the whole ship apart. I've learned in my life that I'm either in a storm I'm coming out of a storm, or I'm getting ready to go into a storm. Some of you are in a storm right now, and it feels like the ship of your life is going to tear apart. The ship that you're on, that you're journeying with, is going to be torn apart by the storm. Some of you are are coming out of a storm, and you've seen God's faithfulness bring you through, even when it felt like things were going to fall apart. And some of you are getting ready to go into a storm. And you don't even know what lies ahead, but God does. Luke records here that we were in a storm, and it it felt like everything was going to fall apart, that we were going to die. The storm threatens to kill them, Luke records. And and just a a quick time out here. This was on the same sea, the Mediterranean, where years before there was a storm. And this time, it wasn't Paul, it was another man named Jonah. You remember this story? Jonah was actually sailing away from God's plan for his life. God wanted Jonah to be back in a place called Nineveh, a large city, to preach to a a godless group of people. And Jonah said, "Mm, not going to do it. I'm not going. So he goes down to Joppa, a port city, and he gets on a ship, and he begins to cross the Mediterranean to go to the very ends of the earth. Don't miss this, the language here. And it's actually Jonah's presence that endangers, remember, his shipmates. Because he's running away from God's plan to preach at Nineveh. And all these years later, we're back on the Mediterranean. And it's not Jonah this time, it's Paul. 
And Paul's presence actually protected his shipmates because he was running to God's purpose. He was going to a great city, to the ends of the earth, to preach the gospel there. Luke simply records here, follow along with me, Acts 27, verse 20, when it comes to these challenges to the journey and this this storm that was raging. He says here in verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, you know what that means, it's covered by clouds, and no small tempest, no small storm lay on us, and then listen to these words, these are striking words from Luke, Acts 27, verse 20, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Any of you ever felt that way in your journey? All hope of being rescued and saved in this situation, I finally abandoned. And the reality is some of you here today, some of you watching right now, you you feel like maybe God's abandoned you. And you've lost hope for the journey. You've forgotten the purpose and the plan behind it all. Why did I even start this in the first place? You've begun to doubt Luke, in a very vulnerable way here, says, all of our hope, together, collectively, everybody on this ship, all of our hope was lost, and we gave ourselves over to the fact that we're not going to be saved. God does his best work when the challenges of our journeys feel lost, when the challenges of our life feel like they're, they're all against us and all hope is being lost, that's when only God moments happen. When our hopelessness turns to hope in Christ alone because that's the only hope we have. Listen, it's easy on the weekend to come and to sing our hope is in Christ alone. But when during the week that's all the hope you have is Jesus alone, that's when you know it's real. When Jesus is all I have, If God doesn't come through, I'm through in my life. We're through, we're finished. That's what's happening here. Remember last week in the sermon, we talked about the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that we have in him alone, doesn't pay attention to our circumstances or our challenges. And aren't you glad for that? That we don't equate our hope in Jesus with our current circumstances or situations. The winds were against Paul, but God was for him. The winds were against Paul, but God was with him, and God is with you, and God is for you. If you're a Christ follower here today, if you're a Christ follower watching today, the Bible reminds us that God is for us. So who can stand against us? That God will never leave us, that God will never forsake us. And the winds might be against you today, friend, but the one who made the winds is for you. Remember what the disciples said when they looked at Jesus? After the storm had had calmed, after Jesus had commanded the storm to calm, remember what they said about Jesus? Who is this man that even the winds obey him? The winds of your life that are against you are not in charge of you. God's in charge of you. God's in charge of your journey. And man's 
hands, all the things that come against you, the obstacles, uh, all the things of this world that come against you, they can't stand against God's plans. We've talked a lot about the challenges to the journey. And many of you are facing challenges today to the journey that you're on with Christ. But let's talk about now as we finish the promises in the journey. Aren't you glad there's promises in the journey? We've given challenges to the journey they're due, and there's many challenges that are listed here by Luke in Acts 27. But let's finish by talking about the promises that Paul and his companions find in the journey. Acts 27, verses 21 through 26. God's promises are most clearly seen today, beloved, in life's challenges. In the challenges of your own journey, God makes himself known. I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to think about a person in your life that you admire, a person that you look at their faith, their journey with Jesus, and you say, boy, I want to be like them. I want to have a faith like theirs. I want to trust God in the way that they trust God. I want to believe God for the things that they've believed. I want you to think about that person. For some of you, it might be a grandparent that you saw pray and trust Jesus in a way that inspired you and encouraged you and maybe even introduced you for, to Jesus for the first time. For some of you, it's a parent. For some of you, it's a mentor or a group leader, a friend, a coworker, somebody that you admire. Think about that person in your life. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Has that person faced any challenges in their life that you know of? That person ever come up against some hardships or some winds of resistance? I see a lot of nodding heads. There's not a person whose faith we admire that hasn't uh, come up against challenges that many of you are facing today. Because the truth is this, that it's in the context of challenges that your faith is forged, that your faith becomes stronger. It's through the winds of resistance that you trust God in a way that you've never trusted him before. And those are the stories that you tell your grandkids. Those are the stories that you tell your children. Those are the stories that you, you tell your coworkers and your friends and your community group. We were through. All hope was lost. And God came through. It was an only God miracle. Those are the stories that stay with you. On your deathbed, it, you won't be telling stories about the challenges. You'll be telling stories about the promises. Where you've seen God's faithfulness time and time again. His goodness and his love to you. His promises in the journey. The truth is this, friends. Until you know the sting of life's challenges, you'll never know the sweetness of God's promises. It's in the sting of life's challenges and the resistance of the journey that you find the sweetness and the goodness of God's promises. That God is with you and God is for you and that's enough. Luke records here in Acts 27, verses 21 through 26, the promises in the journey. Let me read it to you. Another challenge, verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, on top of all the other challenges they were facing in the journey, they were without food. And it's in that context of challenge that Paul stands up among them and says, men, you should have listened to me. We shouldn't have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. But look at verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart. The phrase take heart, the colloquialism means to be encouraged. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong 
and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sell with you. So take heart, men, verse 25, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And then verse 26, but we must run aground on some island. Paul's human after all. Look at verse 21. You should have listened to me. I told you so. But he quickly moves on from that and starts standing on the promises of God. Look at this with me. Verse 22, Paul stands up and he says, take heart, men. None of you are going to die. And you might be thinking right now, okay, that's really strong. That was to Paul and maybe 10, 15 other people. Did you know that on this ship, Luke records that there are 276 people on the ship. So let's put that in a little bit of context. On the Mayflower, there were 135 people. And the Mayflower displaced 250 tons of water. The ship that Paul was on in the first century here displaces 600 tons of water. And there are 276 people on board. So Paul is literally standing up in front of 275 people standing on the promises of God and telling them to take heart, to be encouraged in the midst of these challenges, this storm, the winter, the slow progress, everything, the promises of God still endure. An angel stood before me, Paul says, verse 23. Look at it with me. The angel of the God that I worship and that I belong to. He's getting warmed up now. And he says, the angel told me, guys, fear not. Don't be afraid. You got to stand before Caesar. And God has given you all those who sell with you. So what does this mean? It means that because of God's hand on Paul's life, He was going to protect and save all the men on that ship. So what Paul was saying to them is, none of you are going to die. And this is such a vivid picture of grace. We see the gospel of grace and goodness right here. These men are saved because of the promises of God on Paul's life. That's what the angel says to Paul. And I want you to pay attention to the language here. And if you're able to uh, underline this in your Bible or highlight it on your phones, look at verse 21. Paul stood up in front of all these men, 275 people on the ship. The angel in verse 23 stands before Paul. And then again in verse 24, the angel says to Paul, you're going to stand before whom? Caesar himself, the most important and powerful person in all the world. You're going to stand before him and you're going to proclaim the gospel. Now just for a second, let's go back to uh, chapter 23, verse 11. When Paul's in prison in Jerusalem, who stands by him? Jesus The Lord stood by him that night, and the Lord says to Paul, take courage, take courage from me, Paul. Just as you've proclaimed and testified about me here in Jerusalem, you're going where? You're going to Rome, and you're going to testify about me in Rome. You're going to preach the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus and Jesus alone in Rome. And this is the fulfillment, the very fulfillment of Jesus standing by Paul. And now Paul stands up, and now the angel stands, and then then Paul's going to stand before Caesar. So underline that word stand or stood, because in the first century, when you were on trial or you were in a court setting, if someone stood up, that meant that they were agreeing with the testimony that was being given. They were nodding in approval. 
And now the Lord stands by Paul in this challenge, in this storm. He's nodding his approval to the journey. Even though all the circumstances seem to be against you, even though the wind is in your face, I'm with you and I'm for you and I'm approving of this. That's what God is communicating here to Paul. This is so powerful. Paul says, verse 25, take heart, men, because I have faith in God. And then he says these words, underline this in your Bible, verse 25. God's going to do exactly as I have been told. Just like God told me in his word. His promises that are true, I'm going to stand on those promises. And in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the winter, in the midst of the slow progress, in the midst of the wind, we're going to stand together on God's word and on his promises. And then he says this, I love this, but we must run aground on some island. I love the honesty of the Bible. It's going to get worse. It's not going to be okay right now, but it's going to be okay. That's what Paul says. And you know what? When you read the last page of the Bible, it all works out okay for us. Everything's going to be okay. It doesn't mean that it's going to be okay today, but it will be okay. That's what Paul says. And actually, it might even get worse. We're going to run aground, and yet we're going to stand on God's promises together. That he's with us, that he's for us. And God's called us to do the same, New City. That God's with us, that God's for us, and we can stand on those promises. Paul learns once again here in Acts 27, and we get to learn with him this very simple and important truth that man's hands can't stop God's plans. That there's nothing that can stop God's plans from happening. One of the foundational truths that we've learned together on this journey through the book of Acts, all 28 chapters, is the sovereignty of God. The absolute control of God of his world, and namely of us. And so for those of you who are facing storms today, who are facing challenges, facing all of life's uncertainties, we can be certain of God's truth and his promises in the midst of uncertainties. There's so many things and people in this life that, that, we can, that we lose hope in that are changing all the time, and yet we can hope in Christ alone and we can stand on his promises. It wasn't until the spring of A.D. 60 that Paul finally arrived to Rome. We're going to get there next week in chapter 28, so come back. He finally gets to Rome, this, this city, this, this place that represented the ends of the earth where he would proclaim the gospel in front of the emperor himself, where he would stand in front of Caesar and say, Jesus is alive. And it's all because of this simple truth. Man's hands couldn't stop God's plans. And in your life today, it's true as well. Man's hands, the circumstances of this life, all the challenges to the journey can never stop God's plans. To him alone be the glory today. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. I love each and every one of you and I'm praying that God will take his word and plant it deep within your hearts so that you'll carry it with you this week and stand on God's promises. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your promises. Your promises that we can stand on today. Even in the midst of difficulty, challenges, obstacles, wind in our face, help us to remember from your truth, from your word today, that you command the winds, that you're in charge, you're on the throne today, high and lifted up. God, give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us individually from your word today, from your truth, your promises, and now give us the courage to obey. To you alone be the glory, and all God's people said together, amen.